Welcome to the podcast of C3 Church with today's message. I'm going to be talking about the five ingredients of a corporate anointing today. You see the scriptures there um, that we're going to go to. Let's go. Let's first start off in the book of Exodus. And um, I don't, didn't have my, uh, my go live person here today, so... People were expecting us to go live on Facebook today, but she's not here. So you guys be thankful that you're here because you'll be able to get it. Praise the Lord. Or you can get the podcast on your phones on Wednesday. And uh, if you've already subscribed to our iTunes podcast, all of our messages are there. I think we have a little over 400 messages out there uh, from uh, C3 Church. You can go all the way back to where we were in the old building. And get those, the sound quality is not all that good, but you can still get the gist of it. Amen. I was um, listening to a message by Gilbert Earl Patterson. How many of you guys know who that is? Just one of the seasoned preachers from um, way back. Uh, I was saddened by his passing. But... uh, he is one of those, a lot of, a lot of uh, I'll explain this in a second, but a lot of uh, hooping pastors I can't follow, if y'all know what I'm talking about. But then there are others who are teachers that hoop, right? And so for those of you who don't know what hooping is, let me try to explain. So these are people who are educated and anointed to take an additional breath, (laughs) a deep breath between statements. Right? Right, right? Well, I'm not a hooper, (laughs) but it goes something. <laughs> like this. And Jesus was on the cross and he told man that you cannot save yourself. And Jesus, something like that. All right, all right. I'll be like, they working that thing out, boy. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I just wasn't blessed for that. <laughs> but there was a song that he sang. I'm not a singer, but um, it's something that's been in my heart for several weeks. And uh, I, it really just kind of stuck in my heart. So I probably won't do very much due diligence to it. But uh, if you guys know, how many of you came up Kojic? Then you'll probably know this um, when, I, when I sing this. It goes, you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, afflicted, sick or For the power of the Lord is still the same. And you 
won't leave here like you came in Jesus name oh sometimes when you're listening to certain things a song would just light in your heart and you just can't get away from it and when you in your prayer time sometimes it just comes up for the power of the lord is still the same and you won't leave here come on and tell your neighbor that sing that with me say you won't leave here come on let's make it personal I won't leave here come on we're gonna make that corporately we won't leave here like we came in Jesus name hallelujah thank y'all for not talking about me bad oh that was all right oh well praise the lord <laughs> well praise the lord see she's the singer praise the lord i i'm a shower singer amen how many other shower singers i got amen <laughs> amen in the shower i sound like man i'm i'm in the studio amen <laughs> i have an audience of one praise the lord amen that thing just uh really got in my heart because I have an apostolic burden that you won't leave here like you came. And that you will hear word or you will experience a move of God uh, that will change your life forever. I truly love the Lord. There have been times in my life when I've hit rock bottom. But every time I call on the name of Jesus, he's always been right there. God wants a vital relationship with all of us. He does not want to date us. He doesn't want a casual relationship. He wants an intimate relationship with all of us. Amen. And that takes work if you are involved in a relationship or if you are married one thing you will know is that a relationship takes work and it will work if you work it when you stop working it it stops working and whatever you lose focus on you lose interest in if you lose focus on God, you will lose interest in him. If you lose focus on reading his word, you will lose focus on reading the word of God. If you, if you, if you uh, lose focus on your relationship, then you will lose interest in that relationship. And there will be something else to take that space. Trust me, there will. Amen. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the corporate anointing because I think 
for too long the church has been in this bless me club for too long. And I think the church has focused too long on getting your needs met rather than meeting the needs of your heart. And what happens is if we get your needs met, you'll get the things that you need, but you're still broken. You can still play, Pam. And so I, I'm not necessarily coming to preach a word to get your needs met, but I am coming so that you can get the needs of your heart met. Amen? Um, and so we have to focus on why is it important that we come together corporately? And that's what I want to talk about today. Is that all right? So we're going to start off in the Old Testament, end up in the New. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 30. We're going to read a big gulp of that. And then we're going to go to Luke 4 and then Acts chapter 1. Amen. I love reading the word. I love the scriptures, uh, which is why I like reading a lot of the scriptures most of the time. Uh, it, the Bible is just rich. <laughs> it's rich with revelation, but it's also rich with stories that will bless your life. There are some things in this Bible that I look at and I read and still today I'm wondering, Lord, I don't know if I'll ever be able to understand that. I mean, I, there's some things that I still don't theologically understand, even though I read it, you know, especially in Jeremiah when he said I, I, I blessed him in the mother's womb. I don't even theologically understand that. How you bless somebody that's not even born yet. Right. So it's a God thing. So there are some things that I'm, I'm still you know, seeking revelation on and wisdom on. Uh, but there, there's quite a bit in here. And just because you don't know all the revelation about it don't mean I don't believe it. I still believe it. Amen. I mean, some people read the Bible. I just don't believe this. Well, it's in there. <laughs> Maybe you, the Lord will help you with your, your wisdom and, and, and your unbelief. It's like the father who told Jesus, I do believe, but help the part of me that doesn't. Are you there in Exodus chapter 30? I want to read a big gulp of this. This is a pretty interesting uh, summation of some of the principal things that Moses was tasked to do. Uh, God was very specific with Moses when he gave him the blueprint and the pattern for building a tabernacle and putting the priesthood in place. And this particular part is talking about the holy anointing oil. So the Bible says, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself principal or quality spices. Somebody say quality. See, you just can't have an imitation of the anointing. It has to be quality. It has to be principal spices. This is verse 22. Verse 23 says 500 shekels of, of liquid myrrh. Somebody say myrrh. Half uh, as much sweet-smelling cinnamon. Somebody say cinnamon. 250 shekels. 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane. Somebody say cane. All right. This is not cold cane. This is a different cane. Verse 24. 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil and ointment compounded according to the art of the apothecary. Or some translations say perfumer, perfumer. This is a person that knows how to mix things. Come on, somebody. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it, uh, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meetings and the ark of the testimony, which is the ark of the covenant. 
uh, the tables and all the utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all of its utensils and the laver and its base. I know this may not seem um, like uh, this is important, but it really is, and I'm going to share in a second why. You, say, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron. This is the priesthood. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now he's talking to the congregation saying, this shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout, uh, throughout your generations. Verse 32. It shall not be poured on man's flesh. This is so important. Nor shall you make any other like it. According to its composition, it is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Wow. Somebody said, don't play with God. Yeah, let's go over to Luke chapter 4. No, that's not the right one. Luke 4 will come later. Go to Luke 24, 49. I'm sorry. The Bible says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. Now, this power um, is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite. So in other words, God is saying, we talked about the holy anointing oil in the Old Testament, and then here something is about to happen. You are getting ready to receive um, this anointed power to operate in your life on a personal level, but it also is something that we should understand that God anoints corporately the whole church. Amen. And you can't come in as an individual anointing. You bring that anointing in here together to be used corporately. Does that make sense? Therefore, when you do go out as an individual, you're covered by the corporate body because our prayers are covering you. Is that making sense at all? Okay, so now let's go to Acts chapter 1. I want to read some scriptures there, and then um, I'll get right into this. Might not make sense right now, but hopefully it will in a, in a little bit here. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, the promise we just spoke about in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, the promise of the Father. But the wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put it in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Somebody say power. Oh, Lord, that was just a weak power right there. I caught you off guard. I knew it. Somebody say power. power. He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Not said, he did not say you shall go witness. He said, you shall be witnesses. It's the 
the Greek word martos, where we get the English word martyr. He said, you're going to die. So you shall have power to die, because when you die to your flesh, then he can use you as a witness to Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. In other words, wherever you are. Amen? So let me pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Take this tongue of clay, Lord, and let me speak a word uh, into the hearts of this people. Let my tongue be the pen of a ready writer. Hide my flesh behind the cross so that only you and the truth and the reality of your word would come forth strong in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Apostle Peter, in his second message, talked about some things over in Acts chapter 3 that I want to read to you right now. And it, 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 will, it will culminate into what the five ingredients are. So let's turn to Acts chapter 3. I want to read uh, just a few passages there in your hearing. Because he talks about two things that I want to talk about today. Verse 19, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Somebody say times of refreshing. And it comes from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration or restitution. So this is the... This is the second Pentecostal message by Apostle Peter, and he talks about two times. He talks about a, a time of refreshing and a time of restoration that will come. Now, restoration um, is the Greek word that means to restore or bring back something bring back something to the state of perfection that was before the fall. So when we see words of restoration in the Bible, in essence, what the Spirit of the Lord is trying to do is to take us back originally before the fall. In other words, we will understand what would be the competency level of a man made in the image of God without sin in its life. What could that person do? What could they accomplish? Well, we know everything that Adam was able to do before the fall. Amen. And so what God had to do after the fall, he had to take everything after the fall. Notice the words after the fall is restore, replenish, uh, redemptive, uh, refresh. Everything after the fall is God trying to redo what he did in the first place. So in other words, he's trying to take us back to paradise. That's why when on the cross of Calvary on Golgotha's hill, he said today with the one that was on the right side, come on, the one on the left was the one that, that, riled, that railed against him, amen, because that was the cross of rebellion. But the cross on the right side was the cross of repentance and the cross in the middle was the cross of redemption. So the cross on the right side said, Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom and notice the words and the phraseology that Jesus used. He said, today you shall be with me where? In other words, I'm going to take you right back to where I started. So I'm going to restore you and make you back to perfection before the fall. That's all God is trying to do is to get us to operate on a level that we will see that we are made in the homage day of God, which is the very image of God, of the very essence of who God is. Therefore, you have his DNA. First John chapter three, verse nine says we're born of the seed of God. In other words, the word seed in the Greek is sperma. That we are born of the seed of God. We have his DNA. So you should look like God without trying. 
Oh, you don't have to just, oh, I don't, I don't, I apologize. I know I'm blessed, but I'm, I'm just, uh-uh. You don't have to apologize for being blessed. That's your daddy. He wants to bless you. Amen, somebody. It's all right to be blessed and God to give you good things. You don't have to apologize for that. Amen. Uh, but on the other hand, if things are not going so well, you don't come up in here with your head hanging down low either. Amen. You hold your head up high because you're not victims in all of this. And if you feel like a victim, read Revelation. We win at the end anyway. Amen. And so we're not victims. We're victors. Amen. So I know that it's necessary that we bring back restoration to the church because the church has become entertainment based. That people want to be entertained and, and, you know, they want to see the different programs. They want to know this, that and the other. Uh, they got to make sure the church is painted the right color. The carpet got to look nice. And, you know, uh, if I get too hot, if I get too cold, you know, I can't go up in there. You know, my arthritis. And there's always something going on because people notoriously want to be entertained. That's why if you do a concert, people will show up. But if you have a prayer meeting, you got five people. Because people like entertainment. They like to be entertained. But unfortunately, this is not what God brought the church for, is to entertain you. You are not to have the sum total of your life lived in the church by the back of somebody else's head. God wants to use you. You are a ministry. God has called you to do great things. Now, you got to decide if you're going to follow God or follow self. But if you follow God, he'll show you why he called you. He'll begin to give you the impetus to go further. He'll show you different things that makes you nervous because you know you don't want to do it, but God already gave you the anointing to do it. Because every time God has asked me to do something, I got nervous to do it because I thought it was something I could not do. Let me tell you something. Before God ever asks you to do anything, he's already blessed you with what you needed to get it done. And all you have to do is obey. I know it looks like, you know, God, I don't even believe you called me to do this. God, I don't even understand. I don't even have enough money. Just stop. God said, I got the money. Don't worry about it. Just do what you got to do. Move out in it. Amen. And then we're also needs oriented and man centered, man. We're just obsessed by the hand of God. What God can do for us rather than his heart, what we can do for him. Because we got to change our mentality in the church. So there's this individualist, accommodationalist spirit in here that we want to be accommodated. Uh, come on now. Then the church, I, the church said we come as we are and stay as we are because you're going to accommodate me in my sin. You're going you're gonna to pat me on my back and say I'm a champion. No, not especially not here. Amen. You, you, you're a champion, but there are some things that we have to do. Uh, to make sure that you stay on the side of God. Now, now listen, just because you got saved don't mean you're going to stay saved. That's why the Bible teaches us uh, you got to work out your salvation with holy fear. See, that holy fear is an understanding and a revelation that you don't want to do anything outside of the will of God. Because I have a holy fear that God, that I might do something that might upset my daddy. And I don't want to upset Papa because I know he has a plan for my life. So that holy fear means what is my part? Because, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to put on the Lord Jesus. You know, somebody say that's my part. Yeah. And the Bible said after doing all to stand, stand, therefore, with your loins girded about with truth. Somebody say that's my part. There are some things that you are going to have to do. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I, I put away childish things. 
Somebody say, that's my part. See, you, God is just not going to come and take childishness from you. He's just not going to come and snatch unbelief from you. He's not going to come and snatch unforgiveness and bitterness from you. You got to give it to him. Amen, somebody. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything. You got to surrender to the Holy Ghost. That's why the Bible says they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. To be led by something means you got to surrender to something. Come on, somebody. Can't nobody lead you unless you surrender to them, including God. He's not going to fight against your own will. That's, uh, last uh, Sunday, I made a statement. I said Jesus died for everybody, but he didn't give his life to everybody. He died for the whole world, but he didn't give his life to everybody. Come on. There are certain that he gave to. He gave some to the masses of the disciples, but some to the 12. And then he also had a relationship with the three. And out of the three, he had the one. You can't give your life to everybody. Find out who's important in your life and give your life to them. But you, you can't give your life to everybody. You can't save everybody. And what people will do, I see Christians doing this all the time. If, if helping somebody else is hurting you, I don't see where that's God. Now, you might hear it differently from different pastors, but I am not. I don't have the gift of mercy. My gift is that of an apostle. The gift of a father. And as a father, I, I'll tell you all the time, you need to pull back on that right there. You're going to get yourself hurt. And sometimes you need somebody like that in your life. Because the enemy will confuse you to make you think you're not being loving enough. You're not, being, you're not giving enough. And that's why you need people around you that you can trust to say you gave enough. Pull back on that right now. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself hurt. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing they're using you. You're like this person is like a leech. And anytime you get around a person and you feel like you got to take a bath after talking to them, then you might want to stop talking to them. You, got, you feel like you got to go in your prayer closet every time you talk to somebody. You might need to cut that back a little bit. You got to put yourself around somebody that believes in your dreams. Somebody that inspires you. Somebody that says, you can do this. You can go further. You can go harder. You can do this thing. We already got enough people saying what we cannot do. All right, I got a that's good and a yep. So can I keep it up? All right, let me keep it up. Jesus is the head of the church, the body, and the multifaceted Christians are what makes up the body. And so we got to understand that nobody can say, they can say this, but I know they don't believe it because it's not true, that somehow that they are Christian, but they just don't go to church. Wait a minute. Well, the church is his body. And if you say you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a part of the body. And anytime you're outside of the body, you are away from the head. It's just, this is pretty simple, isn't it? I love God. I just don't like God's people. That is a problem because you are God's people, so you don't like yourself. 
I hear this stuff because I'm in corporate America. I don't tell people I'm a pastor because I want to hear their hearts. And most of them are Christians. The Christians are the one that I have to I have a I have to work with. It's the unbelievers I'm good with. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it's the Christians I had to work with because I'm like, you know, that's not in the Bible, right? Oh well, you know, I, I it's just my that's just my take on. It. Oh, okay, that's your take on it. Praise the Lord. All right, good. Because listen, you you can't say you connected. You got such a. I have a great relationship with Jesus. Do you go to church? No. So, how does that work out? Because the proof that you love Jesus is that you are a part of His body. Is this making sense at all? See, I'm trying to get us out of that individualistic mentality that a lot of Christians have, that they can have a relationship outside of what the Bible declares. You're lying to yourself. That's why you're depressed. That's why you don't like people, because people don't like you. See, you got to be likable for somebody to like you. The Bible said if you want friends, show yourself friendly. But if you're always mean and nasty and negative and talking bad about everybody, everybody around you got a problem. It don't matter where you go. You had six jobs and all of them, the people don't like you. Well, the common denominator. You've been in nine churches in nine years. And the pastor and the people was up. They were bad. They were mean. They were nasty. Nine churches. Nine bad pastors. Nine bad churches. I don't believe it. And you ain't going to make me believe it. There's, I'm telling you, saints of God, there is something here that God is trying to do. There's a scripture. I'm going to give it to you. It, it blew my mind when I read it in the Old Testament. It's Exodus 4. Write this down. Exodus 4. 22 and 23. I'm, I'm going to give you the scripture. I, didn't, I don't think I put it on my PowerPoint. But this was after Moses had his burning bush experience. You guys remember that? Because Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the desert. Right? So to me, <laughs> that's a long time before you hear God. So a lot of us are praying Pastor, I've been praying for two weeks. <laughs> Moses, Moses waited 40 years. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take 40 years before you hear from God, but I am saying God is going to answer you when he's ready. A lot of times God has already answered just like Moses because we don't know how many times Moses passed that burning bush before the Bible said he actually turned and looked at it. Right. So sometimes God is trying to get our attention. But unless we turn to see what God is saying, he can't speak to us to give us more direction because we are continuing down the wrong path. He will always give us flags and he will bring us people and prophets. He will always send something to tell you you need to turn. But if you refuse to turn, you will never know why the bush is burning. And all of us have a burning bush situation in our lives. That's that moment when God is ready to give you a revelation beyond your capacity to think about it. God said, Moses, take off those shoes. Boy, you just can't walk up on me like that. This is holy ground. I'm getting ready to show you something. I'm going to teach you something. Amen. And so this was, this was uh, just after that. Um, 
the Bible says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, this, this is amazing to me. Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And he's talking about the children of Israel. And that just amazed me because even in the Old Testament, God's intentions were to unify his people to be a corporate son, a corporate body. He called a people his son. Oh, man, he got a mm-hmm, and I got a nod. Okay, can I keep on going in? Okay, because it's going to make more sense when I tell you about John chapter 17 that he prayed, I wish they all would become one, even as you and I are one. He wants the many to become one. And the many can't become one when we got one that always sits outside the body. Okay, can I keep going? All right, I'm going to read First Peter 2 and 9. We know this. Peter says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal, a holy. He called us a nation. Just like the children of Israel, he said, that's my son. Now the Christians are a nation and we're his son the corporate body. I have to bring these scriptures so that it can make sense about how important it is in the corporate body. I already told you about John chapter 17, the many becoming one. And so here it is. My burden is for God's people to rise up in unity unto the perfect many-membered corporate body. And the reason I say this is because it is important that you figure out in your shanana what is God saying to you? What is your God said? If you don't have a God said, people can say stuff to you that you might follow. And if you don't have a God said, then you got to break down, read the word, and ask Father and say, listen, what is my God said? What are you saying for me to do. Listen, because he might tell you to do something outside of church. As a matter of fact, I'm praying that he tell all of you to do something outside of church. Because out there is where the work needs to be done. And here's where you get the plan. The plan is executed out there. And here you get encouraged and edified. Out there is where everything is executed. Amen? And so God might be calling you in corporate America to do a specific thing to raise up specific people. He can do that, you know that, right? God can bring a revival in corporate America. As a matter of fact, I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe that there's a revival that's gonna happen in corporate America. Jesus ministered in the marketplaces, right? So that's why we have marketplace ministry so that we can, we can connect with one another because we need to know how to stay safe in a secular environment. And, and I wanna cut somebody's head off right now. I just need to stay safe up in here. Sometimes you just got to go to the bathroom and speak in tongues. <laughs> Anybody ever done that? I'd be like, boy, I'm about to lose my mind up in here. I better go for a walk. You know, I go for a walk because I work in Uptown. So I go for a walk, and boy, I mean, I'm walking. I'm walking and thinking, and a lot of times people be speaking, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to work some things out. I'm trying to process. Don't judge me. I got, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to process some things. I'm trying to, me and the Lord kind of working some things out. Amen. 
not trying to be mean. It's just that I got, I got to work through some things. All of us have to work through some things. All of us got some brokenness in us that we don't want to talk about. Amen. Amen. See, now we want to come up in the church like we got it all together. We're just so special. We're just so anointed. You ain't that special. You ain't that anointed either. You just as toe up as everybody else in the church. You got problems. You were mad with yourself last night. The pastors too. We all are broken. Ain't nobody just perfect in the house of the Lord. And, and since we are fabulously flawed people, we should be able to get along with one another because nobody in here got it all together. From the pulpit to the pews, nobody has it together. And since none of us have it together, why can't we just get together? Amen. Oh, man, I guess a couple of people like that statement, but praise the Lord. I'm going to keep on going. Amen. And so, so, so let's get into this. Let me just give you a Webster's definition of corporate. Uh, it was derived from the Latin word corpus, which means body. Did you know that? It means body. Y'all knew that. I didn't even know that. So y'all so smart people. It means united, combined, shared by all members of a unified group, common, joint, as corporate responsibility. I like that last statement because a lot of times people that come to church or join a church, they don't feel like they have a responsibility to the church. Oh. Okay, I got a mm and a mm-hmm. All right, since you didn't give me an amen, that means I got to dig. So corporate responsibility is important in the house of God because it's not just the leaders and the pastor's responsibility to make sure that the house is ready for the people. Whose responsibility is it? Somebody say he's talking about me. If there's paper in the parking lot, you don't just get out of your car and just walk over it. If you see beer cans out there, you don't just walk over the beer cans without throwing it away because it's your responsibility to make sure that the parking lot is clean. No, you know what church folks do? I'm going to go get a deacon to go. <laughs> That's what they do. I know. That, come on now. now Y'all know I'm real. I ain't, you know. That's what people do. I'm going to go tell somebody. Um, you know there's a lot of paper and trash in the parking lot? And if you come to me, I'm going to hurt your little feelings. Because I'm going to be like, and you didn't clean it up? Why you come telling me? By the time you come and tell me, you could have had it cleaned up. See, if you don't want that kind of response, don't bring that kind of stuff to me. Amen. Well, Pastor, that, just, that doesn't sound loving. Oh, I'm sorry. You, can't nobody just tell you what's right and you not get offended? See, that's the other problem. See, we got so many entitled people, they get offended about everything. Can't say nothing. Man, you just a weak little old something. You can't even handle somebody telling you what's right. Amen. You know why? Because you're going to these lukewarm churches that won't tell you the truth. They're too busy trying to fill the seats and take your tithe rather than telling you the truth. No, I'm not going to pat you on the back and see you sinning and you're going to die and go to hell. I'm not going to have that on my hands. No, I'm going to tell you the truth. You need to be saved. You know what saved is? You need to be converted and receive Jesus Christ in your heart. But that is not enough. You're going to have to live for the Lord. Amen. It's not enough to say a little prayer, guys. Whoever told you that, they lied to you. Once saved, always saved is not true. If God said, I can blot your name out the book, that means you can be removed. You ain't going to stay there living like a heathen. Oh, boy. Okay. 
Yeah, I think I lost them, Pam. Praise the Lord. Y'all still with me here? So what is the anointing? Because we hear it all the time. Ooh, I want an anointing. Ooh, we felt the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing is not a feeling or an idea. It is an assurance that God is with us. We know him as Emmanuel, God with us. The anointing is Jesus Christ himself. Mm -hmm. That's what the anointing is. It's all about Jesus. He is the Messiah means the anointed one. If you're not in Jesus, there's no anointing. You can't just push smoke in the sanctuary and say that, ooh, this place is so anointed. <laughs> smoke is not an anointing. You got to be, you got to have a connection with Jesus Christ, the king of glory. Amen, somebody. It's not a concert, baby. This is all about, about Jesus Christ. So he is the anointed one. He is where the anointing flows. Is that making sense? The fountainhead and the foundation of all anointing is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make this statement. Hopefully, you give me some leeway when I make this statement. And, and uh, when I make it, it's going to sound contradictory, but I'll explain it. Here it goes. Christ never fully left the earth. I know at first when you see that, you go, Wait a minute, he was resurrected. Uh, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. But he never fully left because he left us something. Yeah. Hello. John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, if you, if you read all of them, you will understand there is something called the Holy Ghost. <laughs> they call him a paracletos, the one that comes alongside of us. He guides us, he leads us. We, when we get filled with the Holy Ghost, we become the body. He's the head in heaven, so Jesus Christ really never left the earth because he left us. We're his body in the earth, so therefore, greater work shall we do because he's going to be with the Father because now we're not just one faceted, we are multifaceted, but we are one in him because he's one with God, and now we're in the family of God. We're heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and we have an inheritance, and we need to know what's in our heavenly bank account because sometimes we can walk around broke not knowing that God is rich. See, it's a mentality that we have because you can get people out of the ghetto and you can give them a check, but you don't get the ghetto out of them. Because money don't make you smart. No, you got to change your mind. That's why Paul says your mind must be renewed day by day. You can only renew your mind by the power of God and reading his word and believing his word, speaking his word, teaching his word, living his word. There has to be a turnaround anointing that comes upon your life to say, no, I, I'm no longer going to do that anymore. I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I'm not going to live like that anymore. For God, I live. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing is going to take my mindset away from God. Oh, no, 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 no. I see you. I see you coming to me. But no, I'm not going to lose focus on my heavenly calling. So let's get back to this thing here called these principal spices here. Because the word principle means head. That's why I wanted to pull out that term principle. It means head or front or beginning. Jesus is the head of the church, the body. It's important that we know that he's alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. The anointing always flows from the head. 
this is a biblical thing. So, these spices flow down from the life of the head, Jesus Christ, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Spirit, it flows on us, in us, and through us. It is important to know that when God gets ready to bless a church, he blesses the head first. I didn't write the book. But if the head is not living a consecrated life and have a pure life, the anointing will be tainted. This is why you better know what church you are in. There has to be a level. No, I'm not going to get into that yet. <laughs> I'm going to wait. All right, all right. Let's, let's, let's go into these ingredients real quick. Five ingredients of the corporate anointing. The first ingredient is pure myrrh. Somebody say myrrh. Myrrh is a fragrance that comes from um, the Kalamophora tree in Arabia. When people harvested myrrh, they would, check this out, they would wound and beat the trees repeatedly to bleed them of the gum sap, which was also called tears. They would beat the bark of the tree until the tree cried. Tears speak of submission and meekness. This is essential quality for all Christians and for any church to flow in an anointing. We must be submitted and we must be meek. Now, meekness is not weakness. Just because a person is meek does not make them weak. Meekness means you got power that is under control. That you're not going to blow up on everybody just because you know you are anointed. Hello, somebody. Meekness is like the power company that sends electricity from the plant. We know that that power is too much to be absorbed in this building. So there are some things out there on those power poles called transformers. Hello, somebody. And so those transformers are stepping down all of the power from the power company so that it would be usable here in this church. If we didn't have transformers and we try to turn these lights on, it will blow this building up because the power is too strong coming from the plant. Hello, somebody. And so we got to have transformers that knows how to step down the power so that that power will be usable. I'm telling you right now, the Holy Ghost is nothing but a transformer. Transformer because the Holy Ghost would take all the power from God and it will step down that power so that we can be usable. We got so many Christians that can't be used because they don't understand submission. They don't understand meekness and they're out there prophesying to people and doing certain things and hurting people because they don't have power under control. And they're too busy trying to prove to people how anointed they are. I've been to this church. I, I know that person. I've, I've done it. I don't care who you know. I don't care what church you've been a part of. People don't impress me. I'm only impressed by God. Hello, somebody. You don't come up in here to impress nobody but God. Somebody say, but God. God uses life bruises. He uses life's bruises. He will take your bruises, man, and use you in a way. That will blow your mind because now you can't just sympathize. You empathize with the other person. Now you say, I know how you feel. This is how I got out. 
Come on, honey. You can do this, boo. Come on, get yourself together. I know it's hard. I was right there. I cried myself to sleep every night, too. I was hurting. It, it was a very painful thing, but I got out, and you can get out, too, because God is no respective person. If he got me out, he'll get you out, too. Come on, somebody. Come on and bless the Lord right there. He got you out. He'll get me out, too. The best way for us to learn this quality is going through our mercy seasons of life, but we are not, we, but we don't allow those mercy seasons to break us completely down. Everybody gonna have some mercy seasons. Everybody's gonna have times when people are beating on you, when people have wounded you. There are wounds from our past that can creep up and they can, they can, they can cripple us too. There are something you you 40 years old, you 50 years old, and you think about something that happened in on the school ground when you were eight years old. Why? Because your memories can come back and trouble you. They can trick you. It can cripple you and you will be paralyzed by your past. That's why we have the we, God has given us a way of escape. And man, we have to use the word of God so that we can escape from our past and the things. I know, I know you might have been traumatized in your mind. By what somebody else has done to you. We all have some trauma somewhere. All of us have experienced something in our minds somewhere. Something that somebody did to us that we thought loved us but they disrespected us. All of, I got that too. All of us got some of that that can creep up at times when we're weak. When we don't feel like we're close to God. That's when he tries to slip up in there because he's a snake. And he's subtle. He'll slip up in there and say, you know, you don't really need to go to church today. Just sit at home. It's all right. You go every Sunday. But that, that joker may not know that God had just the word for you that day. And let me tell you something, saints of God. The, what happened this morning don't happen on Facebook Live. You can't feel that at all. It can look good. You can be like, oh, boy, they just had a good time. Yeah, but you're an outsider. Let me tell you something, saints of God. You don't get a ring sitting in the stands. You only get a ring when you're in the game. Hello, somebody. And most of the people sitting in the stands think that they know more than the coach. You know who the coach is? That's the pastor. We got people sitting in the stands think they know more than I do. Yeah, you probably do, but you're not leading anybody but yourself. No, you want to tell me how to lead people. Tell me how many people are you leading currently. How many people are following you? How many people are being healed by you? How many people are being baptized in the Holy Ghost? No, you want to talk about this pastor and that church. And, but what are you doing? Oh, see, see, see. Somebody said myrrh, myrrh. See, myrrh is, is we have to be submitted and we have to have some meekness about ourselves if we're going to even think that we're going to operate with any sort of anointing individually as well as corporately. You would never be able to learn to submit to elders and the leaders in the church or your wife or your husband if you don't understand myrrh. Because in a marriage, you submit one to another. It's not one way. There's one way to God, but there's, a, there's two ways in a marriage. <laughs> yeah, you got to, the Bible says, submit one to another. Right, brothers? The wife is not just supposed to submit to you. There's a level of submission. Oh, by the way, let me just clean it up a little bit. Since I'm out there, you know how I am about marriage. So, so it also says that when you are married, your body don't belong to you anymore. <laughs> glory.
glory to God. See, your body don't belong to you anymore. Therefore, if you're going to do something with your body that you know is not right, you got to get your spouse's permission. You got to get permission to do something with your body that don't belong to you. Hello, somebody. Somebody say marriage. See, the single folks better know that because your body don't belong to you once you say I do. Once you say I do, my body belongs to her. Can't nobody do anything to this body unless this thing right here gives permission. And can't nobody better touch that body. That belongs to me. <laughs> Glory to God. I had to tell my own daughter. I'm like, I can touch that. That's mine. Glory to God. You my daughter, but that's my baby. That's my boo thing. Come on, somebody. That's, that's, my, that's my girl right there, right? Because that's mine. That's my, that's my body. That's why when Adam woke up, that brother said, Dag, Lord. That's John Lawton Bible. He didn't say that, really. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He didn't really say that. But you know that brother had to be amazed because that brother woke up and he said, boy. He, he even said it. He said, whoa, man. That's what he said. Why? Because when he looked at her, he was like, whoa, God. Because it wasn't her lips, hips, or fingertips that he was interested in. He said, she's my body. And when I get close to her and when I'm intimate with her, I'm secretly loving myself. And I'm able to give her everything that I need. Come on, somebody. She shall be called woe man because she was taken out of man. Therefore, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, bone of my bone means she can touch every inside of me. She gives me structure in my life. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She handled my outside too. Woo! Let me get on to this next one. Glory to God. We got seven more days. Good graces of life. Make my head sweat. <laughs> I wish we could speed up time, praise the Lord. <laughs> so myrrh, 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 myrrh. Submission and meekness. We got to have that if we're going to be anointed. Number two. Number two is cinnamon. Somebody say cinnamon. The Hebrew word for cinnamon means erect, as in upright rolls. Cinnamon comes from a tree that grows 30 feet tall with stiff leaves and wide spreading branches. It is said that it grows straight up with no curves. Therefore, cinnamon means uprightness. Cinnamon also uh, improves the taste of anything that is bitter. Hallelujah. So the first thing about cinnamon is you must stand upright. In the midst of people who are wrong. See, you got to have an upright back. You got to stand up straight in the midst of all of this unstraight stuff that's going on. Come on, somebody. You know, you got to stand up straight against the culture. We're not supposed to capitulate with the culture. We're supposed to change the culture. We, we are supposed to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Come on, somebody. And so we can't allow for the culture to come into the church and dictate to us what church should be like. No, you come in the church and you understand what church truly is. Come on, somebody. So the, the gospel message is not a message of complicity or entitlement. 
is a message of transformation. So it don't, you can't just come in as you are and stay as you are. There's no, nothing in the Bible that says that. The Bible says you come in here so that you can be transformed into what God created you to be in the first place. So you're going to have to change. Somebody say, I got to change. So in other words, when I came to church, I had to change. I still couldn't be a liar and, and a cheater and, and all this other stuff in the house of God. I had to change. Right? So you have to change in the house. See, the Holy Spirit is about change. The only thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do is convict you so you can change. If you're not changing, you're not getting convicted. If you're not getting convicted, you don't have the Holy Ghost. I can't, I, but, 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 you can't tell me you're a Christian and you're still doing the same thing and you know it's wrong and you keep doing it. Something's wrong. Either you didn't get saved or the Holy Ghost don't work. And I just believed the first one for 500, Alex. <laughs> when we walk through our mere seasons with integrity, standing for truth in the midst of tough times, it transforms into something sweeter called grace. Somebody say grace. See, we, that grace is what we operate in when we are going through those mer seasons and then when we have an upright back and we stand for truth and we know people are banging on us for standing up straight. Got family members mad at you because you want to live for God. You got coworkers say, I don't even know how you know. We don't believe in that. We don't go to church. Yet, but yet, and still they allow this person to kneel for, for three days a week, but they don't want you to have a time of prayer in the conference room. No, you got to stand. You're going to have to stand up against all of that. Amen? So when they tried to tell me that, I was like, well, you need to stop that if you're going to stop me. We will have a Bible study in here. Because I'm going to stand for truth. Amen? Now, you can beat on me all you want, but I'm going to stand for truth. Amen? Guess what? We got a Bible study. Now we got some of the senior leaders coming. Why? Because I take a stand for truth. Listen, listen, listen. Your job don't own you. I'm owned by Jesus Christ who gave me the job. As a matter of fact, owns the company. And if you mess around and mess with me, he'll fire you and put me in your position. Mess with me if you want to. I'll mess around and start praying on you. I'll fast for three days for you. You mess with me. You mess with me. I'll fast for your behind. You keep messing. You keep pulling that junk with me. I'll fast and pray for you for three days straight. And you watch. Ain't nothing in your life going to be right. Until you get right with me. See, that's the kind of boldness you better have as a Christian. Why? Because I know my life. I know I'm living for holiness. I got a standard of integrity and character in this place. And I ain't trying to live right to impress you. No, 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 no. We live right because we want to impress our father. You come to our house, we'll see how we live. I tell you all the time, if we're going to fuss, we're going to fuss in front of you. We ain't trying to hide nothing from the church. We're going to go at it. No, nah, we don't really go at it. Like, well, we much mature now in our relationship. And, um, and because, I'm, because I'm real meek and submissive, I just allow her to. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you ain't gonna give me nothing on that baby. You gonna leave me hanging. <laughs> no, sometimes I'm right, sometimes she's right. So, you know, but we, we used to fuss and have uh we would be mad for days, intense fellowship, intense moments of fellowship. 
See, sometimes our intense moments of fellowship would last a while, but now they're really short-lived because we've gotten much older now and we're on the other side of 50. See, when you get on the other side of 50, stuff that used to just bother you don't bother you much anymore because you're getting close. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Everybody that's over 50 know what I'm talking about. All the young folks are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you get over 50, it's just stuff, you, you just don't bother you much anymore. It's just like whatever, right? You know, it's just like it ain't even important. You know, you're just happy to be alive. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. So cinnamon is uprightness. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there is, there is a scripture um, in the Bible. Let's see. I thought I had it written down, but I don't. I know it's in Leviticus 21. I don't know the specific scripture, but if a priest had a crooked back, he couldn't serve in the priesthood. If he was hunchbacked, I think it might be around 20, 23, Leviticus 21 somewhere, but 20. Who said that? 20. So if a priest was, was hunched over or his, his, somehow his back was not straight, he couldn't serve in the priesthood. Now, now let's take that to the church. I wonder spiritually how many crooked back pastors we have in the pulpit. I wonder if you was the able of God just begin to move the curtain of the spirit and you can see how many are bowled over because they crooked. They don't have any integrity. They have no character. How many of those that are broke back that's in the pulpit right now? That they living a life in front of you that they don't live in private. Because you, you can't be powerful publicly unless you're ground in privately. And if you're not ground in privately, before long, your public life will be exposed and people will see that you are a fraud. You posing. You ain't real. That ain't real. That ain't no real anointing. Boy, I got a lot of mm-mm-mms and some mm-hmm and some well, yeah. I think I'm on the right track, right? So we need to stand for the promises of God. We got to have a straight back, saints of God. We got to say at some point, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can do whatever you want. And sometimes when your kids get old enough, you're going to have to cut the cord off of those little rascals and they're going to have to live their own life. And you keep on praying for them, just like Michelle said. But at some point, they got to live their own lives. Stop trying to baby these grown folks. That's the problem. And then they come to church and they think I'm going to do that. I ain't babying you. No, we're grown up in the house of the Lord. Amen. We, we are raising up mature people in the house. One of the biggest problems that, that we have today is we got to train up so many people that come from other churches. Because they've been babied for so long. They've been pat on the back for too long. They haven't heard the true gospel message that this, you got a part in this thing too. Right? It's not just about the pastors and the leaders. What are you doing? Who are you laying hands on? Before you call me to the hospital, have you gone there and laid hands on your, on your family and friends? Hello? Don't you know I don't have any different anointing? You do that. You're a Christian. You got Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost in you. You better take your oil up in there and lay hands. And then you call me, Pastor. We've already prayed. I said, yeah, I feel the anointing on the phone. Go for it. <laughs> I don't have to be there. I get up in there and I'm slipping on the oil because y'all been slinging oil all around the hospital room. <laughs> 
Praise the Lord. So meekness, submission, first ingredient. The second ingredient, ingredient is having uprightness, right? Uh, that's Psalms 119.7. I will praise you with, up, with an upright heart when I learn your righteous judgments. All right, number three, sweet calamus. Calamus or cane is, this is, this is interesting. Check this out. It's a cane uh, that is fragrant. It's a reed-like grass that grows along the riverbanks because it is able to grow in mire and swampy environments. Did you hear that? The head of the reed was full of oil, and they knew that the oil was ready to be harvested when the head of the reed bent over far enough to where it almost touched the ground. They knew the oil was ready when the reed bent over far enough to it almost touching the ground. Calamus speaks of humility. That God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Jesus Christ gives us the best picture of humility that we can see is found in John chapter 13, I think somewhere around 5, when the Bible said Jesus ungirded himself and put on a towel. And he got a basin of water and he got down on his knees. This is God. He got down on his knees and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, they didn't wear shoes like we wear shoes today. So whatever they stepped in in the world, they brought in on their feet. Good gracious. So they, when they walked, they walked in the, you know, they had horses and donkeys and the dong was all over the street. So whatever was in the street was on their feet. So when Jesus got down to wash their feet, that's what he was washing off of them. Jesus humbled himself to show his disciples, now that is what they should do for others. That no matter how much you are elevated, don't ever think that somehow you're better than anybody else, that you should humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season as long as you stay low. You got to take the low road to get to high heights. The Bible is diametrically opposed to the world. If you want to go up, you got to go down. If you want more, you got to give. Come on, somebody. And so it's humility. We got to remain humble. You got to give God his glory. God can use you on greater levels if you just make sure, God, I give you the glory. I got people that send me messages and stuff like that. First thing out of my mouth, well, to God be the glory. I appreciate you saying that. Why? Because I like to be encouraged. Everybody like to be encouraged. But I don't, want to, I don't want you to think that somehow that I don't need that. Right? So I balance it out. I give God his glory first, and then I thank you. Some people, they just want it all for themselves. Because they just think that they are that anointed. And you know, God will snatch you a little behind up. Just ask Aaron. He'll snatch you up. He'll pull that garment off. Aaron fell dead. Duh. Right? God will snatch stuff from you. Ask Job. He'll pull some stuff away from you. Amen? Ask Paul. 
Amen. So, so we got to be meek and humble. What else? We got to be upright. And then this one, let me give you this right here. Real and authentic ministry starts the moment we stop trying to impress each other. That's when it starts, when you stop trying to impress each other. I ain't here to impress nary. Is that a word? That is a word. Nary one of you. Daddy used to use that word a lot when he was living. Nary. No, I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm, I'm actually here to show you that God is real because he's used me to be a miracle right before your eyes. Because I should be the one that's disqualified to stand before you. Because if you look at the qualification from other churches, I might not have all the credentials for me to be used in a denomination. I just have enough credentials to be used by God. Amen. And if it's good enough for God, then it's good enough for me. Amen. And so listen, just go on out there and do what God tells you to do. He said he, he don't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Right? Now, I'm not knocking degrees and all that other stuff. I'm not knocking that at all. Get smart but get it right. <laughs> Amen. And so a lot of times my smartness came through wisdom and hard knocks, beats, myrrh seasons. And sometimes it's, it's better to know what not to do than what to do. I'm telling you, in Elaine, we've learned a lot about what not to do. Amen. That's good lessons, right? So submission, meekness, uprightness, and humility, right? All right. Let me give you this next one. I know this is taking a long time. I'm sorry. Cassia, or some, some people say Cassia. Whatever th thought that you want to use, go right ahead. But this one, <laughs> all right. I believe there were over, I think, 400 types of this plant. It grows in tropical climates, and it, is, it produces something called Sina. Sina is S-E-N-N-A, Sina. And... Um, Cena was used for inner cleansing. <laughs> for purging. <laughs> In the regions where this grew, when someone was sick, they would take this oil and they would give it to that person that was sick and they would clean them out. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had to laugh because Oh, if you've been around old folk, yeah. Yeah. who used to take that caster? I take that one. Yeah. That stuff is, that tastes like old. Yeah. yeah. It's the nastiest stuff you ever, and it don't take long. I think that stuff just bypasses your stomach and goes straight to your anal cavity. Ain't lying. It just, <laughs> it just, everything in the way. It just, get out of the way. Get out of the way. That stuff. It is Drano for the body. I mean, it is. <laughs> it is, right? But if we're going to operate as an individual with an anointing and corporately with an anointing, we're going to have to have an inner cleansing. There is a purging that must take place when we say, God, this is who I am right now. Oh, Billy Graham will have this song. Uh, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. 
not a caricature of who I am, but all that I am. I come to you, Lord, because you know my faults and my failures. You know everything that I've been successful in and everything that I've failed in. God, because you know me better than I know myself, I come just as I am. I ask you to cleanse me. David says, search my heart, O God. Come on, come on, saints of God. Just lift your hands and say, Lord, search me. Glory to God. Father, see if there's any fault in me. See if there's any weakness in me, God. See if there's any racism in me. God, see if there's any unforgiveness in me. See if there's any bitterness in me. Search me. Oh, God, cleanse me right now. Because I want to operate in an authentic anointing of Jesus Christ. And I want to be cleansed, God. John said, I must decrease so he can increase in me. In the name of Jesus, search us, God. We want to have a true anointing, Lord. Purge us right now in the name of Jesus. Anything that does not represent Christ, Lord, purge us right now. Psalms 139, 23, David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, God. Just cleanse my thoughts that we must be delivered from traumatized thoughts as well. Things that keep us rooted in our past, God, and it keeps us from our future. Father, we pray for our children. We pray for the youth, Lord, that are traumatized by their thoughts, Jesus. The things that tries to come up, God, and trip them up, Jesus. The things that tells them that they'll never be anybody. They're, they're no good and unworthy, God. Father, we rebuke those thoughts right now in Jesus' name. That every one of our young people know and understand they're not going to be somebody, that they're already somebody. And that you've already called them to do exploits in your name. Hallelujah. Let me give you the last one. Praise the Lord. The last one is pure olive oil. Elaine and I was talking about this uh, when I was finishing up on this message. And the four that I just mentioned before, you might get it, but it'll dissipate. That's what we were talking about. That in order to hold it all together, you got to have the olive oil. See, the olive oil is the biggest component of the anointing. And the olive oil is what brings it all together. And see, in order to get the oil out of the olive berry, it had to be crushed. And see, let me tell you something, saints of God. You will never find anybody that operates in an anointing that hasn't been crushed. That something hasn't happened in their lives where they've been crushed by people and crushed by churches and crushed by pastors and, and crushed by mama or daddy or somebody in your past, a husband or wife. There's some crushing that goes forth. If you see somebody that is operating in an anointing, I bet you I can show you somebody that's been crushed. See, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the place of crushing. He was being crushed because he was in the garden. That was the place when all of our sins and the sins of the world was being compressed into his body. And he began to, to sweat great drops of blood because his body was going through something called hermetohydrosis to where his sweat broke out into his blood capillaries. And he began to sweat blood because he was being crushed. For our iniquities, bruised for us. It's a place of crushing. It's a place of crushing. This is the final piece. This is what brings it all together. And if you're not, you're not going to operate in a true anointing if you're not submitted, if you're not meek. 
If you don't live an upright life, living for the truth and the reality of the word of God, standing on the promises of God, knowing that the enemy might come at me one way, but he's going to flee seven ways, knowing that no word from God is void of power, no weapon that is formed against me shall be able to prosper. you got to stand on the promises of God because Ephesians 6 says four times, stand therefore with your loins girt about with truth. We got to have an upright back. We got to stand up straight, saints of God. We can't come in the house with your head hung all low like we serve some broke down God. No, you hell y'all. You hold your head up high. Yeah, you might be hurting in your body, but God, I'm still going to church. I'm going to stand on your promises. I'm going to stand. If nobody else is standing, I am going to stand, oh God. Who's with me on this thing? Then you got to be humble, saints of God. The more God elevates you, the more humble you should be. The more humble you are, God can elevate you, saints of God. I'm saying this to you because some of you right now sitting in these seats are not going to be in the same place in six months. God is going to elevate you. He's going to put you on a higher dimension. And when you go higher, you see more. Come on, somebody. That's why he told Habakkuk to get into the tower so that you can see what I will say to you. Some of you are going to be elevated. Others of you will not. You're going to still be in the same place six months from now. And whose fault is that going to be? I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to be in the same place six months from now. I promise you, I'm not going to be in the same place. I'm going to get closer to God. I'm going to have a more of an authentic relationship with him. You're going to see more miracle signs and wonders in this place like you've never seen before. People be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost because that's the book of Acts. And if it's in the book of Acts, I want it right here, right now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence that, that, that is unseen. Come on. Now faith is. There is therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now. Now. I want mine right now. I don't want to wait till I go great by and by in heaven. I want to live for God right now. How about you? By the way, there are no mansions in heaven. That's a lie. Ain't no mansions in heaven. The songs are lies. They don't know the Bible. What you going to be living in a mansion for? No, you're going to be, you're going to have a house. You know the house you're going to have? The house you got right now, your body, that's your house. No mansions in heaven. I got my mansion in heaven. No, there ain't no man, I'm sorry. Ain't none up there. See, what that is, you want something on the earth in heaven. No, God ain't having all of that foolishness because you go up there and somebody's mansion might be bigger than yours and then you're going to be jealous. And ain't no jealousy in heaven. So you won't fit. Amen. I want all of this operating in my life. Not just for me. I want to be anointed for you. Because the anointing starts at the head. I'm going to wrap up with this. Psalms 133. It talks about how precious unity is in the house of God. And it begins to make a correlation of unity being like oil that's on the head and then on the beard and then on the garments. The head, the leaders, the beard, the congregation, the garments, the world. The anointing flows so other people will be blessed 
The anointing don't flow so that the head person can pass him or herself off like they got it all together. The anointing, it should be a bypass, not a reservoir. God never had a problem getting stuff to us. It's getting it through us. I don't want anything. I don't want anything to block God from using me as a vessel to get to somebody else. I don't want nonsense, unholiness, unbelief, unrighteousness, any unrighteous acts that I'm doing privately. I'm, I'm privately devout and secretly holy. That should be your prayer. God, I want to be privately devout. What I do in my private life, anybody can come and look at it. You can come look at my computer. You can search it all you want. You ain't finding nothing on my hard drive because I'm secretly holy. I ain't looking at nothing because I got to look in your eyes and I can't look in your eyes with a pure word if I'm looking at impure things. This is what church has to be restored back to. A place where you actually get to know the man and the woman of God. That is not like you got to get through 18 folks. Show me what Jesus, if anything, he stopped his disciples from people trying to get to him. Even the children. Why? Because he wanted to be touched. And anytime a man and a woman of God becomes untouchable, they are outside the will of God. You ain't all that. You are not that close to God to where people cannot touch you. As a matter of fact, if they couldn't get to him, they at least touched his garment. So you tell me where the bodyguards come in. It is sacrilegious. It is foolishness. It is not God, and I promise you he's getting ready to bring that kind of mess down to where they can become fathers to the church like Malachi says, that he's going to restore the spirit of Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers unless he come and smite the earth with a curse. And we are cursed because we got too many pastors in the church and not enough fathers. And he's restoring the fathers. You know who that are? Those are the apostles. That's why he's restoring the apostolic call in people who really genuinely know what it means. And that's what you have in this house. How many of you want to be anointed? Amen. Stand to your feet. Want the pure anointing? Take these notes back. Study it a little bit more. I just gave you the highlight. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message encouraged you. If you would like to learn more about C3 Church, please visit us in person in Indian Trail, North Carolina at 5805 West Highway 74, Indian Trail, North Carolina 28079 or on the web c3churchnc.org or on facebook.com forward slash c3indiantrailnc.org